This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. A bipartisan group of U.S. senators met with Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky on Monday in a show of American support amid increasing tensions with Russia. On Tuesday, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced he would also be meeting with Mr. Zelensky. U.S. talks with Russian leaders over Ukraine broke down last week. And American intelligence reports apparently suspect Russian troops may attempt a provocative so-called false flag operation inside Ukraine to create a justification for invasion and war. We turn out to David Marples, Distinguished University Professor at the University of Alberta in Canada, specializing in Ukraine, Russia and Belarus. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Nice to be back here. So let's first talk about what it is that the Biden administration seems to want from what's happening with Ukraine and Russia. There have been talks between U.S. and Russian leaders last week. The talks supposedly broke down. Um, it seems as though Russia has the Biden administration in a tough place. Here's an administration that seems recalcitrant to going to war because it sees there's no appetite among the American people. And at least on the surface of it, Russia seems to have the upper hand in making threats towards Ukraine. What do you think is happening? I think it's a, it's a war of nerves in some way, in that um, Russian President Vladimir Putin and Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov are trying to create um, a crisis in a situation where there's really no need for a crisis. And they've done that by putting about 100,000 troops relatively close to the border of Ukraine and threatening to bring many more troops for a military training exercise with Belarus that starts on February 10th, uh, 2022. And that would last for several days, but that would also put Russian troops on the northwestern border of Ukraine as well as the east borders and northeast borders. So that would really uh, make the situation more difficult, I think, for a defensive force. The um, claim by the Russians has been that there has been an expansion of NATO since the end of the Soviet period, and that now there is a plan for Ukraine eventually to become a member of NATO. And Russia wants a guarantee that, a guarantee that that will never happen, for one. And second, that there will be no uh, major weapons placed on the territories of the NATO states that are on the Russian border. And these demands really pre-assume uh, that you would accept the Russian narrative that NATO has been expanding rather than the states on the Russian border wanted to join NATO for defensive purposes because they're afraid of Russian incursion onto their territories. And therefore, I think the situation has been uh, created entirely by Russia, but it's not a crisis. There is no crisis. Ukraine is not threatening Russia. Ukraine doesn't have an army the size of Russia. The idea is simply ridiculous. So I don't give much credibility to what is being said out of Moscow, but at the same time, the pressure is still there. And at some point, I think, with a figure like Putin as president, his bravado, his machismo, may impel him to go ahead on some or part of that operation. 
There are reports that Russia is amassing troops, and yet and then there are other reports saying, well, the troops are still hundreds of miles from the Ukraine border. There were also reports about U.S. intelligence um, revealing that Russian troops would try to provoke some sort of incident inside uh, Ukraine to justify an attack, a so-called false flag operation. Do you give credence to these? Well, it would be fairly easy to do, given that the eastern part of Ukraine, the eastern parts of the two regions, Donetsk and Luhansk, are in fact in the hands of pro-Russian rebels right now. So it would be fairly easy for the members of those governments, their administrations, to create some kind of incident. But I think it would be more difficult if you went further to the west, uh, deeper into what territory Ukraine actually holds, and then create some incident. And we've already seen separatist troops in some of these regions. We've seen the Russian army move into this region in 2015 as well. It wouldn't be anything new. So it's a possibility. But again, as mentioned before, who would really believe the idea that Ukraine is preparing to attack Russia? There's more credibility if they actually said Ukraine is preparing simply to regain all of the two regions, that is, to move out the occupied separatist forces away, who are in fact led by residents of those two republics, uh, Ukrainians uh, by ethnicity at least, if not in language or, or, or in outlook. And if they wanted to retake their own regions, or if Ukraine wanted to retake the regions for themselves, that, that would have more credibility, I think, because gradually with the standoff from 2015 onwards after the Minsk Accords, with a kind of demilitarized zone where the OSCE uh, delegation is operated, the Ukrainian side has moved a little bit further eastward. Not a lot, but discernibly. And you know, I don't think that should necessarily bother Russia. It doesn't really, really mean all that much. They've not tried to capture any of the major towns, such as Donetsk and Luhansk. Um, but there has been tensions on that border for the past seven years. And there are casualties. I mean, almost every week someone gets killed as a result of firing by one side or the other. What do you make of um, the fact that U.S. senators met with the Ukrainian president of Volodymyr uh, Zelensky? This is uh, a group of bipartisan senators that went to the Ukraine on Monday, and um, you know they basically reasserted their allegiance to Ukraine and uh, spouted the sort of standard line of both parties in the United States against Russia. Uh, following that, we've seen that Secretary of State Antony Blinken will also be traveling to Ukraine. Do these moves suggest just some sort of symbolic um, friendship or symbolic assertion to the Ukraine that, look, we're on your side, even if we're not quite willing to necessarily send out U.S. forces? Yeah, I think that's the general message, that solidarity with Ukraine in this situation, that is, no one is, no one is accepting Russia, Russia's statement that it has a genuine problem on that border or with Ukraine as a whole. And my government, for example, we, we have a, a, an army group working with Ukrainians in the western part of the country. Part of that force has been moved to Kiev, so it's obviously taken a much more strategic 
So, and, and you're of course talking about the Canadian government, just for our audience. <laughs> I mean, it's not a major force or anything like that, but it's it's a symbolic um, rec recognition that Ukraine is in trouble, and that we're behind it. United States, Canada, Germany, and also United Kingdom, which is also sending uh, significant weapons, defensive weapons to Ukraine. But at the same time, um, as President Biden said, I think about it uh, sometime in December, that the United States is not going to get involved in overt warfare with Russia over Ukraine, because Ukraine is not a NATO member, um, neither is Russia. And therefore, if they're outside NATO, there is no real possibility of the United States and its allies West getting involved in the war itself. But what they can do is make it more difficult for Russia to occupy Ukraine, if, if assuming that that's what Russia intends to do. I don't necessarily assume that. On Monday, the Wall Street Journal's Walter Russell Mead um, wrote an op-ed, How to Halt Putin's Ukraine Push, where he basically wrote that the only option that would stop a Russian invasion, and that's the one that all the serious players in Washington say is off the table, is dispatching an American and coalition force to defend Ukraine. Of course, it's not surprising that the Wall Street Journal would sort of buy into the most hawkish of positions. But I mean, if the U.S. were to, say, take, if the government were to take its advice from the hawks, the war hawks, this could be a very serious war. Um, it could turn into a very serious war, right? Or is that, uh, is that too pessimistic? It's pessimistic. It, I mean, it could happen. I mean, I think the statement uh, in the first place is very unwise. I don't think it, there's any real possibility of that happening, or it, it would make sense for that to happen. Here. Um, I mean, look at the situation. Of, well, two things I would say. First of all, you've got 100,000 troops 200 miles or so from the border. That's not enough to invade Ukraine. You need more than that. There may be more when they do the military exercise, then more troops will be involved. Belarus itself has got, a, has got a relatively large army which could take part in Asia. That is a possibility. But if you look at the Russian economy, before I came on this show, uh, just out of interest, curiosity, I compared the GDP of Russia with that of Italy. Italy, one small member of the European Union, and it's about the same. And in some areas, Russia and uh, Economy is inferior to the Italian economy. The Italians are doing quite well in that area. So you're talking about a, a country that's got an economy the size of Italy that relies entirely on gas exports and oil, of course, as well, but mainly gas is a big weapon in Russia, and an economy that's entirely lopsided in, in favor of energy resources. But a majority of the population is living in fairly dire conditions in many regions. A population that's not increasingly talking about 140 million people. This is not a world power. The, the power Russia has is in the military and in the fact that it's got nuclear weapons. And it's bluffing to use this power to all to get its way in the world by bullying, cajoling, and making things up through social media, carrying out cyber attacks and propaganda almost on a daily basis. So the West has to think about it and think, well, are we unified in our opposition to this? I would hope so. I would hope that all the European Union countries, all the NATO countries, would be unified 
not on everything, but at least on this one issue, that Ukraine should not be attacked. Ukraine is not a threat to Russia. And that there's no reason for any kind of invasion. Of course, fact, I'm sorry. if Russia calls their bluff, what sort of unity would there be among NATO countries if Russia calls their bluff? And, and of course, we, this is a real possibility because Russia has invaded Ukraine in the past multiple times, right? So then what sort of unity would you hope for among NATO allies uh, around action or inaction or diplomacy or lack thereof? Well, in the past, there have been significant differences between NATO allies on what the response should be to Russia. And even while sanctions were taking place, you had anomalies like uh, Germany and Russia working together on completion of the Nord Stream pipeline from Russia to Germany, which would in fact cut out transit through Ukraine. I mean, that's one of its purposes, to stop Ukraine benefiting at all from Russian pipeline movement to its territory. And Italy's also kept fairly close relations with Moscow. Turkey, I wouldn't even want to predict what Turkey's going to do from one day to another. It's been very hard to say. So it's not, it's not hard to discern that there are some points within that union and within NATO where people might want to do different things. But in terms of the major military players, I think they're pretty much on board. And even Germany has spoken out very strongly against the recent actions coming from Moscow. And also, as they did with the arrest of Navalny last year, the attempted poisoning of Navalny, Angela Merkel was among the first people to condemn that and to speak out strongly to Vladimir Putin. So I think there would be unity, but it's got to be maintained and it's got to be serious and there's got to be some kind of threat at the end. But if, you, if Russia goes over that border, it's going to be cut off entirely from international organizations and all particular aid of the sanctions of Russian exports. It's simply got to mass up and Russia couldn't afford to do that. So there are diplomatic tools at NATO's disposal that could be made use of far before any sort of military response by the West. Yeah, but these, these tools are not really NATO's to throw around. These are the tools of countries in question or, or maybe of the European Union, United States, etc. But um, it's been in line with what NATO is doing at the same time. Um, all these countries can make, in theory at least, individual decisions on what they try to come up. But at the same time, I think it's important that they stand together and, and that they, you know, they try to ex expose what Russia is doing, what the reality of this is. I mean, what does Russia want? Uh, you know, Ukraine out of NATO, some kind of promise that Ukraine would be out of NATO. But are they doing all this just for one statement that Ukraine would never be allowed to join NATO? There's also the fact that Russia's occupied Crimea for the last eight years, and no Western country has recognized that. Russia has been involved in the war in the Donbass in eastern Ukraine. The Donbass has two republics that have had referendums Render and declare themselves to the states. Nobody in the West recognizes the state. So there's a lot of things that Russia can put on the table. And Putin is a gambler, but he's a careful gambler. He's not an idiot. And I think to cross the border with troops in a full-scale invasion without question, perhaps more of a possibility is that 
there could be an attempt to take part of the Donbass, maybe a city like Mariupol, which the rebels had at one time had lost, or to get some kind of feedback from the West, some kind of recognition. The West might say, we will recognize Crimea if you will pull your troops out. It's never going to happen, but this is the thinking behind the moves. It's like a chessboard. It's not a simple, normal diplomatic well, finally, David, let's talk about internal politics in Ukraine that are playing out dramatically as these tensions with Russia increase. And that is that former President Petro Poroshenko has landed in Kiev to face treason charges. Um, and the Zelensky government is going to be overseeing this. Um, what do you make of these uh, domestic internal politics? And are they in any way related to these border tensions with Russia? Well, I would say almost the opposite. It's more like fiddling while Rome is burning. Um, I mean, there are other analogies one could make, but it's the worst possible time for this sort of thing to be happening. And very unwise, in my view, for President Zelensky to take so far that he would put a former president on trial for treason. I mean, this is not a traitor. This is not someone who was pro-Russian. It's some sort of economic uh, things happening on the territory of the time he was president, that coal could be used and exported to rebels to elsewhere on the Russian side. And perhaps Poroshenko um, is an oligarch, he made a lot of money, he still has a lot of money. But at the same time, Zelensky is no angel either. When the Panama Papers were released, one found that Zelensky was one of the ones who was investing in, in offshore islands. So to me, it seems like a personal vendetta. But this is the figure who is now second in popular standing behind Zelensky. His party is second to Zelensky's party parliament. You eliminate your closest rival. This is a typical um, tyrant or, or dictator's policy, how they would react rather than democratic politician. And I said it's the worst time to do it because Ukraine now needs unity. They don't want to get involved in some internal uh, scandal that's going to divert attention from what's happening right on the border. So I think it's very foolish. It's something that could wait until the crisis has ended. And again, I think it's more of a personal thing than it is. Uh, that I don't think Poroshenko is a criminal. I wasn't a great fan of him as president. I don't think he's a very good president, Frank. But I don't think he should be uh, put on trial for treason. Well, David, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I always appreciate your insight on these matters. Okay, you're very well. My guest has been David Marples, Distinguished University Professor at the University of Alberta in Canada. He specializes in Ukraine, Russia, and Belarus. We've been discussing increasing tensions between Russia and Ukraine. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.